0: We're starting a new series today, and I believe that this series can really shape the trajectory of your life for many years to come. It's a series called Life Beneath the Surface, building a strong spirituality without denying our humanity. It's very easy in the name of Jesus to deny our humanity. It's very easy in the name of religion, in the name of spirituality, to deny what it means to be a human being. And so what does it mean to look beneath the surface of our lives? What does it mean to examine what's happening in the world beneath us where many people can't see, where we don't often see? And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring particular topics and themes that if we would open ourselves up to God in a fresh way, can lead to some profound transformation in our lives. And so, over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about things like the emotional life of Jesus. Go to that next slide for me. Uh, we're gonna focus on things like anger and anxiety and grief and our family of origin and rhythms and solitude. And if we open ourselves up to what Jesus wants to do throughout the course of these weeks, I believe that we can start experiencing some transformative power. And some freedom in some areas that maybe you've been stuck in for a long time And so today we're going to focus on the emotional life of Jesus And what it means to incorporate and to pattern our lives after our Lord The cross and our Lord, is not—he's not, the cross is not just a symbol of salvation, it's the pattern for our lives And Jesus is our pattern for our lives And so we're going to look at a few things today as we think about that. And and more than anything, here's my hope as we look in this series. My hope is that we would grow in naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. Um, Not naming, recognizing, and managing other people's feelings. Um, (laughs) That we would grow in praying our feelings or praying through our feelings. That we would grow in our capacity to be present to others and their feelings. And that we would grow in discerning the deeper messages beneath our emotions. And I believe that God is going to help us over the next few weeks journey in this particular area. So let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see, hearts to hear, to to receive and ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say uh, in us and to us and through us uh, this day. Lord, thank you for the gift of worship, the gift of Holy Scripture. And I pray now that you would give us insight and revelation, that you would lead us on a new direction, a new trajectory, moving us towards freedom and healing and mercy and compassion, that we will live the kind of life that you dream for us to. And so we hold all these things before you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. There's a question that gets asked every day Sometimes you're the one who asks the question Sometimes the question is asked of you It's a very human question A question that Is actually quite vulnerable If you think about it and give it the kind of thought That it really needs The question is very simply How are you feeling? How are you feeling? It's a very vulnerable question And it's a question that many of us have a hard time Responding to with honesty How are you feeling? I wonder as we begin this message today, if you could just take a note of this question. How are you feeling today? When you came into church today, how are you feeling? Now, that question is hard for a number of reasons. It's hard to respond to that question because, number one, we often don't know how we're feeling. It's hard to get the word. Our our vocabulary for emotions sometimes can be so stunted that we really can't really name what exactly is it I'm feeling it's also difficult also difficult to respond to this question because when someone asks this question how are you feeling we often wonder to ourselves are you safe enough for me to actually give an honest response to that question I don't know if I want to tell you how I'm feeling and so I'm not going to respond to that or the third reason why we have a hard time with that question is because if we're truly honest with ourselves we think to ourselves this is going to be a long conversation and so the person was in the lobby saying, How are you feeling? And you're like, Do I want to be here for the next hour or do I want to get lunch? Uh, let's get some lunch. Good! I'm doing great. Let's get some lunch here. And yet, what begins to happen is when we live our lives not truly responding to that question before God, before ourselves, before others, we end up living with masks. Now, we live in a generation now that's very familiar with wearing a particular kind of mask. But truthfully, It's very often where Christians are wearing masks on a regular basis. You know, Jesus had something to say about that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus would talk to religious leaders, and he would recognize something about their lives, their duplicity, their their hypocrisy and what jesus would call the religious leaders of the day were hypocrites now it's a very offensive word if you call someone a hypocrite it's like whoa that's very offensive because a hypocrite is someone we believe who who says one thing and does another or there's this like a double life a hypocrisy to them a duplicitousness to them but when jesus talks about hypocrisy he's talking about someone who wears a mask on a stage that's what the word hypocrisy means in this context A hypocrite is a stage actor, a stage actor Someone who, who puts on a front before someone And sometimes the reason the front is being put before them Is because uh, there, I, there's no other way I know how to show up in the world I, I, I need this script, I need to play a particular role A particular character for you to like me Therefore, I put on a mask And many of us know what it's like to wear a mask but we don't really identify what's happening on the inside. There's a lack of congruence with what's happening on the inside and the outside. Therefore, we wear a mask. And yet, I believe Jesus wants to have us tear down these masks. Jesus wants to transform us, every aspect of our lives, especially our interior lives. Jesus is not just about behavior modification. Jesus is not just about you believing certain things about God and certain things about the Bible and saying, Wow, you believe that? Perfect. You believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? Perfect. You believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Perfect. You believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Perfect. Jesus doesn't just want us to believe things in our head. He wants to transform us deep beneath the surface of our lives. Jesus wants to transform every aspect of our lives, especially our inner life. Additionally, the degree to which we live, embracing all of our parts, is the degree... To which we will live like Jesus Because Jesus lived a whole life And what we're going to learn In the midst of all these things theologically Is that the only way to experience true transformation Is to live in reality Facing the various parts of our lives That often are very difficult too There's only one place Where God doesn't exist The omnipresent God, the God who's everywhere at the same time, there's only one place where God does not exist, and that one place is illusion. God does not dwell in illusion. God only dwells in reality. And the degree to which we live in reality is the degree to which we open ourselves up to the very presence of God. And if there's any area in our lives in which we're not living in reality, we therefore cut ourselves off from the very presence of God. Because God does not dwell in illusion. And that's what we see throughout the story in the scriptures about Jesus. Jesus lives in reality. Jesus lives a whole life. Jesus is someone who shows us what it means to be fully human. And we have so much to learn from our Lord today. And as you even think about the kind of life that embraces the inner life, embraces our emotional world and our feelings, a question of reflection is helpful for us. And here's the question. What emotions were not acceptable in the home you grew up in? What were the emotions that were boundaried? What were the emotions that you could give expression to that, but you better not give expression to that? Moreover, what are the emotions and the feelings in whatever church tradition you came from that were acceptable? And what were were the emotions that were frowned upon? And as you think, give thought to these ways that we've been formed, we can now open ourselves up to the ways that we've been inconsistent with the way of Jesus. And what has happened when we think about our emotional world, our interior world, is that there are three ways that we typically respond to it. The first way that we respond to it before we look at Jesus as our model, the first way we respond to our interior life, our emotions, our feelings, is to ignore them. To ignore them all together. To ignore them in the name of Jesus. This is why we can very easily use good spirituality to ignore our humanity. People have, for ages, have used God to run from God and have used God to run from ourselves. And so what's often the case is we we know how to ignore our emotions. Why? Because many of us have been taught that our emotions across the board are untrustworthy. Therefore, because they're untrustworthy, we need to ignore them. Or because we've been formed in a particular way, we don't give any kind of credence to it. I remember meeting with someone in my office, and I asked him a question. I said, how often do you look beneath the surface to explore what's going on there? And his response to me was never. Never. And he said it with such forcefulness that I said, let's take that word never. And I put it on the whiteboard. I put never. And I said, let's play with it. What's behind the never? What's beneath the never? And so we started working together on this acronym. What are the forces that keep us from really looking beneath the surface? And what we discovered together, where there were four words. I left out that we worked hard. We couldn't get the other E there, but we just said never right here. <laughs> It'll make it more memorable for you today. Why didn't this person look beneath the surface? We discovered he, he didn't look beneath the surface because of a narrow faith. He had a narrow faith, a faith that did not make room for the interior life. A faith that did not make room for our emotional world. It was just a very narrow faith that was about doctrine, going to church, but your humanity, your insides, your interior life, that, 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 that didn't really work here, so it was narrow. The other reason that kept him from looking beneath the surface, he t- we wrote down, was because he knows how to escape, that he spends more of his time escaping. Escaping through video games escaping through binge-watching TV escaping through workaholism escaping through helping other people Helping other people but not taking the time to actually figure out what's happening Within me Why didn't this person look beneath the surface the the V was interesting because the word that came up was violence That violence was an expression of distress But I could it was the fear if, if I look within what am I gonna find? I don't have the capacity to look within. Therefore, my body responds with violence, violence against others or violence against myself. And when we got to V, I thought about my own life and the ways that this has been a protective measure that keeps me from being vulnerable before God and before others. When Rosie and I got married the first couple of years, uh, I learned very quickly that she was going to be the person who God was going to use to teach me how to be human Because she knows how to um, give expression to all of her parts To all of her uh, interior life She knows how to give expression to her anger Expression to her grief Expression to her joy Expression to her puzzlement And so um, she has no problem saying I'm angry about this And I'm sad about that And I remember the first few years she would just give expression to it and I could not find the words. Now, I'm a, I do this for a living. I talk for a living. I'm a public speaker. I've been doing it for many, many years. I could find words. I can make up words. I can create acronyms. I could do all the rest. But when it came to communicating in the kitchen, it was just like, ah, I just, what am I going to say? And I remember one day we were having a conflict. I don't remember what it was about, but she was giving expression to her own frustration. And what began to happen became really a memorable story for me because I found my body just tensing up as she was giving expression. She was waiting for me to share my perspective on the matter, but as she shared, my body was tensing up. I started checking out. I had my phone in my hand, and the only thing I knew what to do in that moment was to take my cell phone and smash it on the table. The only thing I knew what to do in that moment and so I take my cell phone, I sma- I mean, smash it, the, the glass shatters. And I take my phone, and I walk out, and on Queens Boulevard, go for a long walk. Now, she's shocked in the process. I get back an hour later, I, I, sitting in the bench, I think to myself, there's got to be a better way. Number one, that phone was expensive, that phone was expensive, <laughs> come on. I was like, i got to save up money again, this is ridiculous. This, is, this was an expensive decision I just made right now. But number two, I was divided against myself. And violence became a way that kept me from being vulnerable. You know, the world is filled with lots of violent people, and those violent people are very afraid to being vulnerable. When I, think, when I see violence in people, I see this is someone who's afraid to open up to someone else with vulnerability. And so the only thing we know how to do is violence. That R, as we talk about the R, we talk about rationalization. That's very easy to live in the head, but not from the heart. And so never, I wonder for some of us, this is where we've been. We just ignore our emotions. For others of us, we're not, we don't ignore our emotions. We are immersed in our emotions. You have no problem accessing your emotions. The problem, however is that there's often a disproportionate response to life. You're marked by reactivity and emotionality where you're not able to step back and say, what's really happening inside of me? And so have you ever overreacted to something where it was a disproportionate response to something and you found yourself screaming or found yourself um, angry or found yourself like... Like this was the event and it didn't seem on the surface to be a really big event But then you found yourself one minute later doing something else Maybe this was in the supermarket. Maybe you blew up at your kids in the supermarket Anybody else? No, maybe you did something (laughs) Something happened and it's just like whoa I'm just so immersed in reactivity and immersed in emotionality That I can't step out of myself for a moment and go what's really happening here? And so for some of us, we ignore it. For others, we are immersed in it. But what we're invited into is to integrate it. What does it mean to integrate? It doesn't mean that we're robots. It doesn't mean that we don't feel. But it means that we are integrating our life and our faith and our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And this is what we see with our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us what it means to be human, to integrate every aspect of our lives. And it's important for a moment to theologically think about the humanity of our Lord. It's very easy to focus as followers of Jesus on his divinity, that he is the son of the living God. And we give praise because he is the son of the living God. He is redeemer, alpha and omega, savior of the world. We often focus on the divinity of Jesus Christ and with good reason, because he's the rescuer, the forgiver, the savior of the world. But it is very easy to focus on the divinity of Jesus to the point that we really forget his humanity, that he was as the, the pure, true human being. That Jesus shows us what it means to be human. Jesus feels all the feelings. He is as human as you are going to be. Have you ever thought for a moment, Jesus used the bathroom just like you do? <laughs> Thank you, Melanie, that, because we should praise God for that. That's how human he is And some of you are like Well wait You're just crossing a line now Pastor Rich I don't know He went to the bathroom Just like you did That's how human He is And when you look at Jesus Today As we look at kind of his life I want to give a cursory Kind of look At his emotional life And there's four particular Areas of scripture Where we get a good picture About Jesus' interior life And how he was able To integrate all of it In his life before the father Jesus had a clear understanding of what it meant to be human, so much so that he did not have to hide away parts from others, for example, Jesus knew what it was like to grieve, to feel great pain and sadness. If you're looking to start memorizing the Bible, this is the best place to start, here, here it is. <laughs> Jesus wept, John eleven 35, you're off to a great start. Jesus wept. In those two words, we have profound theology. In those two words, we have a profound understanding of what it means to be human. And we need this word because for some of us, we have never felt safe to show tears before other people. For some of us, whenever a tear comes down, you start apologizing. Whenever tears come down, you know, the inclination for many people, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's badness, sometimes it's helpful, the inclination for many of us, myself included, is whenever tears come down, the, the first thing we do is get, grab a tissue. It, it, it seems like an act of kindness, but at the same time, I wonder what a message like that communicates as well, implicitly or subconsciously, that the tears somehow need to be stopped here, as opposed to, no, sometimes the tears just need to fall. Jesus grieves, his, his friend dies, and instead of him going, guys, it's going to be all right. The son of the living God is here, okay? This, we're going to be all right. Watch what's going to happen. He grieves. He mourns. He feels. Jesus doesn't just grieve. Jesus also experienced fear. I, I know you probably were taught that to experience fear is kind of like sinful and all that. But look at Jesus, the sinless one, experiencing fear. He's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to take on the sin of the world. And as he's wrestling with the will of God, he goes, Father, uh, if it's your will, uh, can this cup be passed? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if it's possible, can this cup be passed? The cup of suffering, the cup of, my, of death, the cup of taking on the sins of the world in this way. What is Jesus feeling? Fear, anxiety. Our Lord knows what it's like to be afraid. And I wonder when's the last time you honestly looked at someone and said, I'm scared here. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. And instead, in the name of Jesus, in the name of positive thinking, we don't live in reality. Jesus understands what it means to fear. Jesus also understands what it means to be angry. And this might be one where Christians are most notorious for just lying about, which is why I think there's more lying in the church than outside of the church, because we believe that we have to put on such a facade. Jesus knows what it's like to be angry. When you look at Jesus' relationship to others, at one point, he went into the temple, and in the temple, people were selling sacrifices, various things for you to sacrifice in the temple before God, but they were charging an exorbitant amount of money, which was disenfranchising people who were poor. Jesus sees how the poor were being taken advantage of in the temple, a holy place, and he is furious. He's angry My house shall be called the house of prayer But you're making it into a den of robbers And he flips the table In anger, in righteous indignation Jesus understands How to tap into anger And to recognize the messages That are beneath the anger And next week, don't miss it I'm going to be preaching about anger It's something I specialize in And so um, you're not going to miss it Don't miss it Jesus understands anger But Jesus also understands joy. You don't have any of scriptures that say Jesus laughed, but there's plenty of places in the scriptures where Jesus talks about joy, a deeper sense of delight. In God, I have told you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He talks about I'm giving you my joy, my joy, my joy. His first miracle was not in a temple. His first miracle was at a wedding, making wine, a, a sign of joy and abundance, turning water into wine. Jesus navigates the entirety of his life, the fear, the anger, the anxiety, the joy. And he holds it together, not compartmentalizing, holds it together, and he invites us to do the same, to hold these aspects to us. And so let me ask you, as we think about joy and fear and anger and and, 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 and anxiety and all the rest, where do you have a hard time feeling this? For some of you, you came from a home, you came from a particular cultural background that gave no room for grief. Gave no room for anger. You're going to be angry? Don't be angry in my presence. Be angry somewhere else. No room for anxiety. For some people, no room for joy. And these environments have formed us profoundly in many ways that are inconsistent with the way of Jesus. And so when you look at Jesus and the various ways that he holds us together, there are a couple of implications And a few next steps for us in our spiritual formation The first implication from all of this is that we must recognize that we cannot live fully human lives Without cutting parts of ourselves off Many people have cut off grief from their life You have not focused on any loss in your life There's been plenty of losses in your life But you've never paused to say, wow, this was a significant loss And I need to pay attention to this loss Anytime you cut off one aspect of your life, you compromise everything else You can't and I cannot live with joy when I'm not making space for grief It's impossible you ever notice why in these movies like Goodwill Hunting Antoine Fisher and like therapy kind of centric movies Where you have like someone who's like very angry and someone who's very wounded and irritable and touchy and then we get the story and 99 times out of 100 what's the what's the story the story is there's some wound there That has not been tended to There's a pain there that has not been tended to and then how does the movie end? They're smiling and laughing and hugging but I think that's important Because you can't truly experience joy Unless you understand the pains of grief as well You can't separate parts from one another and believe you're going to live a full life this is what Jesus shows us. But secondly, we, we, when we look at Jesus, we see that we need all the feelings. We need them all to live the human life that God has called us to and to bear witness to our God. And so how do we do it? How do we live life beneath the surface? How do we build a strong spirituality without denying our humanity? And there's three invitations for us as we begin this series. The first invitation is very simply this: that we are to pay attention to what our feelings reveal. Pay attention to what our feelings reveal. Our feelings, in, um, have lot, there's lots of revelation in our feelings. This is why, over the course of the last few years, I've tried to invite us on a regular basis to pay attention to our reactions because there's lots of revelation to be found in our reactions. And there's a reaction inventory that I've used that has helped me over the last maybe five, six years or so. Whenever you find in yourself a disproportionate response to something, there's a story beneath it. There's usually a story beneath it. And so whenever something happens and I find myself angry or find myself feeling shame or embarrassment, I usually go through these five simple questions. What happened? What am I feeling? What's the story I'm telling myself? What does the gospel say? And what's required of me in this moment? case in point whenever I get an email from someone and it's a critical remark about something you said this or in your book you wrote this and they're just like gone the first you know what happened someone criticized me what am I feeling embarrassment and shame what's the story I'm telling myself I'm a failure I'm just so broken I'm always going to make mistakes what's the gospel say God only uses failures. God only works with people who makes mistakes. You know, if you never made a mistake, God's like, how am I going to help you? How am I going to help you? We are all make mistakes. And what's the counter instinctual act that's required of me? For me, it's often I need to give expression to this. I know what it's like to feel embarrassment and go into a hole by myself and resolve this thing by myself. As opposed to, no, I need to pay attention to what these things are revealing and sometimes it means I need to give expression to it. How do we work towards this? We must pay attention to what our feelings reveal. Secondly, how do we move towards this? We must pray attentively with our feelings. Your feelings are a gift, especially in times of prayer. And for many of us, we have believed the lie that we have to feel good in order to truly pray. I don't feel like praying. But what does feeling like prayer? What is it supposed to feel like? You're supposed to feel holy? You're supposed to feel like really good about it? Here's what true spirituality is. True spirituality, what is prayer? Is lifting mind and heart to God. Whatever's in there. And so you're feeling lust. What is how do you you pray your lust? You're feeling anger. People who are growing in their spirituality don't go, let me wait till I stop feeling angry so that I can truly pray. Have you read the Psalms? (laughs) Smash his head open, Lord, with the stone. I mean, mean, that's what David is praying. (laughs) David clearly knew, I'm not gonna wait till I feel good. I'm better about this before I pray to God. Oh, merciful God, you're so good. Bless my neighbors and all that. Smash his head open with the stone. That's what's in the book of Psalms. And what we find is, unless we begin to learn how to pray through every feeling, we're gonna have a compromised spirituality, a compartmentalized spirituality, as if God doesn't already know what's in there. Feeling grief, pray your grief. Feeling envy, pray your envy. Jealousy, pray your jealousy. Joy, pray your joy. We we grow in our spirituality without diminishing our humanity by praying our feelings. And praying what's in there But thirdly Requires us to process Our feelings In a safe community This is why we need the body of Christ We are to be You know there was a a Mark Epstein a, A psychiatrist once said That developmental trauma happens When emotional pain Cannot find a relational home Think about that for a second our woundedness continues. It persists when emotional pain cannot find a relational home. And a relational home is usually another. Do I have someone who can sit with me and give space to what's happening inside of me? And this is what I know as a pastor. I know that there's a large percentage of us that are lonely. A large percentage of us in this room, watching online, you're lonely. You have not had a space where you can be honest about what's really happening inside of you. And here's my hope for us as a church, that we would all grow together in being a safe space for one another. It doesn't mean that the first person you see in our church, you should say, can I tell you what happened to me? No, no, this is built over time. And quite frankly, not everyone is worthy of your trust. I don't care how long they've been coming to this church. Some folks are just not safe And 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 need to grow in that area, but may we by the grace of God learn what it means to be safe for one another. I sort of I dream of us having a church like that, where it just becomes more and more our reality that we're safe for one another. That 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 we could share our burdens and share our grief and share what's happening inside of us and not wonder how is this gonna be received? And that it doesn't have to be a pastor that does that. That we're the body of Christ. That we can be present for one another and cherish each other's stories and hold each other's stories with grace and compassion and mercy. But we need one another on the journey. And my hope is that we would learn throughout this series to find spaces where we can be that for each other. I love the gift of Therapy. But if the only place where we're finding a safe community is in the therapist's office, we're missing something really profound. We're to be that for one another. Now, as we close here, and then we're gonna take communion, receive communion, why don't we do this? Why don't we look beneath the surface? I think I have a few answers to that, but there's one in particular that I wanna emphasize that points to the good news of the resurrection. Why do we have our time with it? Well, number one, Many of us are just so busy, let's be honest. Our lives are so full. To take the time to look within, it's just like, I have no time for that. Our lives are lived on the go. Secondly, we have a hard time looking within because, quite frankly, we've received rules from our families about particular feelings. There's some feelings that are acceptable, some that are not. Therefore... Some of our cultures, I, you know, I've said from time to time from the stage here, you know, my Puerto Rican family, we don't do sadness, we do salsa. That's what we do. We, do, we, we just, we have a way of ignoring what's really happening inside of us in the name of salsa. <laughs> and so tragedy, oh, that was tragedy. Anybody got some Mark Anthony we want to play right now? And, and uh, that's what we do. We have rules that we've received. But quite frankly, you know why many of us don't look beneath the surface? It's because we are afraid of what we're going to find. And we are afraid that if we do that, we're going to go down a hole, and we don't know if we're going to be able to come back up. And if you're feeling that today, boy, do I have good news about Christianity. And boy, do I have good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if there's anyone who knows what it's like to go down a hole, it's Jesus. And if there's anyone who knows What it means to come out of a hole It is Jesus Christ If there's anyone who knows What it's like to go in a pit It's Jesus If there's anyone who knows How to burst out of that pit It is Jesus And he goes with us This is what a German theologian By the name of Andreas Ebert I want you to receive these words Over your life today. He says, Many of us avoid the path of looking within because they are afraid of being swallowed up by their own abysses. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that He goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves. Because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be, at the same time, the beginning of our healing. This is what Christians profess. We profess that Jesus Christ is with us right here, right now. We profess that the Holy Spirit now dwells among us. We profess that we can, in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, not have to avoid ourselves. That because Jesus Christ has been to the deepest, darkest pit and knows his way out of that deep, dark pit, he can let your life be marked by resurrection power as well. And that's my hope for this series, that we would open ourselves up to Jesus in such a way that we get a taste at this moment of what his resurrection power can do in our lives. And this is why we come to the table of communion. We come to the table of communion because communion reminds us of something about Jesus and invites us into a different relationship with God. What does it remind us? It reminds us that God in Christ has given his entire self to us. When we take the bread and we receive the cup, Jesus, we are reminded, he gave his body for you, his entire life for you. He didn't hold anything back. He died for you. Communion, we receive the bread and the cup, and here's the invitation. God says, would you do the same for me? Would you not hold back certain parts of yourself? I gave you my entire life. Would you surrender your entire life to me? And that's what communion invites us into. And I believe God wants to begin to supernaturally as we take the bread and and, and receive the cup, to begin to supernaturally and, and mystically begin to change the trajectory of our lives as we begin to offer our entire selves to Jesus. Let's pray together.